your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. When you got it, say so. And it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have, and have patience. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Lost my place. I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, we thank you today for these beautiful reminders that we have had in our time of singing, Lord God, that we Lord, are overcomers because of your great grace, God. And Lord, we thank you for the truth that is found in your word now, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us from your throne, God. Be glorified in our time together, Lord, and we thank you for this, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so as we are in the book of Revelation, we are now dealing with a portion that is extremely important, and that is what, what the specific messages were to the seven churches who were present at that time and in that moment. And so remember, as we, as we always want to keep things in context, this isn't a letter that was like put in a bottle and you know, found somewhere on, you know, on, a, on a seashore and someone picked it up and said, hey, let's read this. No, these were letters that were intended and intentional to go to specific churches. And as I thought about this, as we begin to talk or look at what is spoken to the church, I thought about how important the church is for today. As you, as you think about everything that's happened over the last year and even the way that things are looking, right, things are looking like a lot of people are going to remain in remote work situations. And so that means that there is going to be a lot of isolation, right? There's going to be people who would normally maybe go to work and have lunch with folks. That's not going to happen. Who would interact and engage physically with people. That's not going to occur because they're going to really just stay at home and they're going to be there, work there eight hours a day. And then what? Then they're tired and worn out. They don't want to go out and do anything, and then they're going to go take a shower, go to bed, whatever's going to happen, or just hang out in the house. And so what is happening is, whether we realize it or not, we are being more and more isolated and separated from one another. And for some of you, right, like your, your, your personality type, you're like, I'm good with that. Hallelujah. I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay not hanging out with anybody. I'm cool, you know, not seeing anybody's face. I, you know, I'm good with that, right? Like that's some of, some of us are wired that way. 
way, right, to some extent. Nonetheless, that doesn't mean that we should really just embrace that, right? Like, like we need to realize that, you know, some of us, we, some of us, right, are, are, are the type of social butterflies, right? We need, we thrive in that environment. Like, we come out of a, a party or we come out of a gathering and we feel, like, energized, right? And we're like, man, let's go eat. And we're like, yo, I want to go home, glory to God, right? And, and, and that, and what you have to do is you have to make sure that you are not um, neglecting alone time, hallelujah, that you're not neglecting your time of, of isolation. We all need to be alone with Jesus, hallelujah. We all need to spend time reflecting and thinking on ourselves. And then there are others that they're just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're going to this thing. And then you go to that thing and you're there. And by the time you leave, you're like, hallelujah, it's over. Right? Like that's just real. Like just keep it 100. You know? And so I, I'm, I'm going to confess to you, I fall like in the middle of that, right? Like there are some times that I'm like, yes, I'm looking forward there. And, and I get energized because I love people and I want to be around them in that sense. But I ain't going to lie to you. Sometimes I'm like, babe, it's time to go. Right? Like, I feel that. Like, I want to be alone. And to be honest, I, I can hang out and be by myself. Nonetheless, I think about all of this and what's the purpose of the church, right? The church is not a building, it's people. Hallelujah. And so how important is the church in this moment? There's probably fewer things, as I was thinking about this, that for a family than choosing a church home. Thinking about where we're going to be as a church. And while the pandemic has exposed the challenge of church attendance and, and you know, people, I mean, they're statistically saying that one-third, I think it is, of people who have, have who left during the pandemic, they will never return to in-person gatherings. So that's sad, right? Because we should we should look at scripture and say, wait a second, we should be gathering because not because Bishop said or because some book said, but because the book says. Because the author of the book communicates that we are to gather together in person. Nonetheless, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't think that we've heard the term, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian more than it has been over the last, you know, short period of time. I don't, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, which is true, but is it really true, right? Like, yeah, like I, I, I want to say it's halfway true, like, because how, how can you not be part of the church and be a Christian? Like, that's part of being a Christian. That's part of being a follower of Jesus. Like, you have to be connected to the body. And so as Pastor Aldo last week, and, and thank you so much, Pastor, for, you know, communicating. And I want you all to know something because, you know, somebody mentioned to me, as a matter of fact, it was Troy. We were, we were sitting together, and he was, we were talking about the message. He's like, yeah, I've heard him speak on that before. I want to just let you know I make him talk about that. I give him that topic to communicate. Why? Because he is over our Core Connect life groups, and, and he has a vision for that. And so I'm like, hey, I want you to speak on this. But the next time he speaks, I assure you, he's not going to speak on that because I, I'm going I'm to let him just preach and, and, and communicate what God puts on his heart. And, and I'm going I'm to direct him there, too, because, you know, we work together on that stuff. You know, but nonetheless, I, 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 want, I want us to hear that message because it's so important, right? I love the, 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 the term that, you know, he communicated. We have to fight for fellowship. 
We have to fight for fellowship. And, and fighting for fellowship is sometimes fighting our own, you know, wiring. Hallelujah. Some of us need to be rewired. I mean, this is just factual. Right? I'm, and, I'm, and again, I'm talking to myself because sometimes I got to talk myself through, hallelujah, gatherings that, that I, I, I could just easily just stay home, right? But nonetheless, we have to think about these things. But here's some things that I realized is that church isn't about, you know, what is church about, right? Like, so let me just talk about what church isn't. Church isn't about fueling up for the week, right? Because that's what some people think, like church Sunday morning, like gathering, is to fuel up for the week. And, and that's, that's it's like a pit stop. Now, that happens, right? Like, I hope it happens. Like, I hope you come. I hope when you're worshiping, like, there's an overflow of something. I'm hoping that the message uh, encourages you. I, that doesn't mean make you smile, right? But, but that it encourages you to service, to live for the glory of God. But that's not what church is about, right? Church is not about checking off some religious box, like some duty that we have. Like, we got to come to church or something like that. What is church? Church is about sharing life. That's what Pastor Aldo was alluding to. It's about entering into, hear me now, it's about entering into a covenant community that is to become your family. It is about entering into a covenant. You heard those words before, covenant? Not just in a church that's called covenant something. No, no, no. You heard those words, covenant. When you get married, right, you enter into a covenant. There is a commitment that is supposed to be made when you become part of the body of Christ. And you are to, when you, when you decide that you're going to become part of a local body, you are entering into a covenant community. People who are in covenant vertically with God, but also horizontally one with the other. And so now we enter into this community that becomes our family. Listen, this is one of the saddest things that I, that I came to realize, and it wasn't me that said it. Someone else said it. But some of your biological family, I pray this is not true, but some of them will not make it to eternity, but every one of the followers of Christ that are really followers of Christ, they're going to be your family in eternity. And so we are this covenant community that is supposed to be there. It's about weeping with each other in loss, in hardship, in trials of faith. You know you're supposed to do that, right? You, but you can't do that if you are not part of the life of the church, because you don't know what's going on. You can't, listen, you can't just solely depend on uh, a, a, an email that you get from Bishop or that you get from one of the leaders or a post that comes up in Realm or somewhere that says, hey, can you pray for such and such? Or, you know, we're going to take an offering. And we always do this anonymously because we don't necessarily want to put somebody's business out there. But you know what? If you're part of the life of the church, guess what? And this has happened. You'll know about needs that people have long before I do. Because you're engaged, that's what it means to be part of the family, right? They're, 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 it's, it's being part of the covenant family of God. We're supposed to weep. We're supposed to, when people lose, when there's hardship, we're supposed to be part. We're supposed to rejoice in things like birth and marriage and promotion. It's, it, it's, it's, the church is about rejoicing in those things, right? We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. It's about the mission of disciple making. It's about accountability in all of life. It's about working out 
about our salvation in the midst of a community that is gospel-centered. That's what the church is about. The church is necessary. It's not just, you know, your, 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 your time that you come and, and feel better about yourself. That, that's, that, that's part of it, but that's just a small, a small part of it. In our day and age, the church is more necessary and more relevant than we realize. And we have to break free of our Americanized Christianity that it's all about what we get from church, but it's about us being the church. And so I say this because Jesus is speaking to his church and he's letting us know some things that we're going to see as we look at Ephesus and we look at these different churches that are throughout Asia Minor that he's speaking to. And he's going to talk to them of their importance and the things they're doing good, the things that they're doing wrong. It should be understood, and I think that you know this, but just in case you didn't know, let me reiterated for you that there is no such thing as a perfect church and if you ever find one don't enter just leave it like it is because the moment you enter in you make it imperfect the moment that I decided to follow the Lord and plant this church it became imperfect immediately Immediately, and, 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 and as long as I'm here, it will be imperfect. Now, that does not mean that imperfection means that we don't do anything, that we, hey, we're just imperfect, so whatever. No, 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 no. Because God is in the process of perfecting this imperfect church. And so we have to understand this, that the church, again, is necessary, and our participation in its life is not optional, but it is a biblical mandate. Listen, we don't pick and choose. We are either adherents of this book or not. We either believe what the book says or we don't. We either believe what the author and finisher of our faith requires us of us or we do not. It's either or. It's not. It's not both and. See, there's a difference. It's not, well, I can just do. No, no, no. You can't just do what you want. Who is Lord? I'm not Lord. You're not Lord. Jesus is Lord, right? He is the Lord of his church. He's the one that's leading us. And that's just true. Jesus must be the one who leads us. In this, as I'm talking about choosing a church home, he's got to be the one that leads us because when things change, and they will, hallelujah, guess who doesn't? He doesn't. And he leads us through the change. So I want you to think about this this morning as we think about the church of Ephesus. Sound doctrine should always lead to great passion for Jesus and compassion for others. I'll say it again. Sound doctrine should always lead us to have great passion for Jesus and compassion for others. Extremely, extremely important thought that we have here because when we look at the church of Ephesus, and if you have headings in your Bible over each chapter or each area, you might have something there that says the loveless church. And we look at the church of Ephesus, we find some good stuff in the church of Ephesus, but we also find some issues in the church of Ephesus. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this, say, at first glance, at first Ephesus seems like a great church at first glance they seem like a great church like this is like if someone was to ask me hey what you know we're moving to a new city which has happened and the first thing that I tell them is what I tell them hey check out the website right and go and look at the doctrine of the of the church what does the church believe what do they profess as something that is foundational for them and on paper a church can look fine 
The next thing that I, that I would communicate to someone is, you know what? You might want to call the pastor and ask them specific questions about the church, right? I remember uh, when we were still in the storefront, I got a phone call uh, from Sister Sonia who called me, and we had a, a, a lengthy conversation. She asked me questions, and I was just grateful because she showed up, hallelujah, on Sunday, her an angel, glory to God. So apparently I didn't scare them off in the conversation, but nonetheless, they, they, they did a little bit of research with not just looking at a website or just hearing the music or, or anything like that, but they also had a conversation. Let's talk about what this church is about. Let's have this conversation. And then I would go further and I would say, and what I would say is go engage, you know, worship together with the people of God. If those things are good and then sit down in their, you know, our core faith 101 or whatever their particular thing is. A lot of churches have their discover whatever the name of the church is and you go there, learn more about the church. But above everything, I would say this, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Let him direct and guide you. Let him order and ordain your steps and your decisions. You know why? Because he is the one who is in the midst of the church. He is the one who is looking around the church. He is the one who knows what's going on in the church. And he's the one who gets beyond the exterior and the externals and gets to what's really going on on the inside. He's the one that really knows the health of a church. Why? Because he is the head of his church who is fully engaged and invested with his church. And so uh, we have a little, a little map. I think this map is a little bit better for you guys to be able to see. But uh, the church of Ephesus, as you can see here, is a port city. So you see Ephesus, you can see this better than the other map, right? You can see that stuff like last time, really small. Over here, you can see Patmos is the island where um, the apostle John is exiled to right now. And then we see this beautiful landscape here and so Ephesus is this port city right so there's access everywhere they're very important that's how you get good goods in and goods out trading I mean a beautiful a beautiful city very important to Asia Minor at that time it was also home if you go to the book of Acts you don't have to turn there now but you can go and look there later but if you go to the book of Acts chapter 19 you will see that's where the Apostle Paul actually goes there and you hear about the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis and this was a huge temple it was actually home it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world uh, of the ancient world in that time and so the apostle Paul was there as I said now check this out right I'm going to give you some numbers really quickly the apostle Paul visited there and spent three years there approximately 53 AD so if you know the timeline of scripture, you remember that Jesus died somewhere between 30 and 33 AD. So that means that the day of Pentecost happened around that time. And so 20 years later, the apostle Paul arrives there. So the church is still in, in its infant stages, and the apostle Paul arrives here, spends three years there. And then if you remember, the book of Revelation is written when? In 95 AD. So that means that this is 40 years after this church has been established. So this church is not a baby church. The church that we're looking at, I mean, if you think about it, the Apostle Paul was like the founding pastor. Think about that, like glory to God. Like I think I'm a decent communicator. I think I know God's word well, but man, I would love to sit under Paul, right? I would be like, yo, you need to go to him as your pastor, hallelujah. 
Like Paul was the man, right? Like this guy knew scripture. This guy was leading in powerful ways. God was using him mightily and so stellar leadership that they had. We know that Timothy was there as well. And so pastors, leaders that were under the apostle Paul and then John, as we know, church history says that he was the final pastor or shepherd overseer of that time, obviously before he goes to Patmos there which tells us why they had such a great foundation. So what do we see that is good? Let's look at the good stuff in Ephesus. First, in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. And so remember I talked about two weeks ago, my understanding of the word angel here is not angelic host, but it is the word messenger as being pastor. Y'all remember that, right? I know you're like taking notes intently. But Here's what happens. The reason why I think this has to be the messenger, it has to be the pastor or the, you know, the leadership in that sense of the church is because it says this, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. And so John is writing to someone. It would make no sense to me that John would write to an angel in heaven. Hello, that just doesn't make sense. So anyway, I just want to just throw that in there. But he goes on and says this, these things says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Remember the picture that we see in chapter 1, the seven stars being the seven messengers, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so points us back to that vision that he had. Verse 2 says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have, pers- you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. This, this sounds like an amazing church. Verse 6, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. Doesn't that sound like a great church? I mean, just think about it. They, they, they hated worldliness. I mean, this was a church. If, if you think about the church of Ephesus, they were commended not by man, but by Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who is saying these words. He is communicating these things. He's saying that they were a serving church. They were a church that was engaged in service. They were a church that was not just serving, but they were sacrificial. They were a church that wasn't just serving, wasn't just sacrificial. They were steadfast. They were persevering. They were patient. They were doing this what? For his name's sake. And they were a separated church. They were a church that didn't stand for sin. They were a church that didn't stand for bad doctrine. They were a church that stood firm upon God's word. They were a church that said, those guys, those are false apostles. Those guys, don't, they don't bear the marks of an apostle that we know from Paul who founded us, that we know from John who shepherded us, that we know from the other apostles that potentially visited us, the ones, the teachings are different. I mean, these were guys that says, oh, the Nicolaitans, and we'll talk about the Nicolaitans um, later on, but the, you know, th- this was a group of people that was carnal, that were ungodly, that were trying to have dominion in the church in, in one sense. And, and, and they said, no, 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 we hate them. We, we're not going to be part of them. This is a church that was holy in its day. Seemed like a great church. They seemed, you know, you would, you would expect that, right? Because they had great teaching. They had great pastors. They had great leaders. 
And so we see that at first glance, they look great. Everything looked good, and yet Jesus is weighing some stuff. And I want to say this because I think this, this needs to be unequivocally embraced by the church, is that the church must never, never sacrifice truth for relevance. The church must never sacrifice. That's what's happening in our day to day. We are bending, we are bowing, we are compromising into progressive Christianity. We don't, talk, we don't want to talk about the tough stuff. We don't want to engage in the difficult issues. We don't want to do that. Why? Because, man, I don't want to offend anyone. We want people to come. The church cannot do that. The church must, Scripture must always be the highest and final authority in doctrine. What do we teach? What we believe? The scripture must also be a highest authority in decision making as far as it can be. Is this wise according to the scriptures, not according to the plans of man? Is this wise according to scripture? Does this, is this something that honors God's heart or is this something that God forbids? This, the church has to have the scriptures as the highest authority when it comes to church discipline. And so all of these things, I want to make it clear. And I think Jesus is making it clear. These are good things. He is letting them know, I commend you in this. This is something that you should be about. Yet, the second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God sees, God sees and, is concerned with and is concerned with our heart condition. Our heart condition. God sees and is concerned with our heart condition. So when we look from there, we see this good stuff. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, nevertheless. In other words, what he's saying is, hey, I want to let you know you're doing great here. You know, you, you, you love those conversations, don't you, when someone says, hey, I want to let you know I love you. I want you to know that I appreciate so you. You are such a hard worker. You And, and, and they, they butter you up, right? They make you feel. I'm not saying Jesus was buttering someone up. I'm just saying he loves his church. And he wants to, he, he, Jesus, listen, Jesus doesn't want to just crush people. Hello. But, you know, then that person comes and says, but, however, you love those conversations, right? <laughs> Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Nevertheless, in spite of all of that, in spite of the fact that you serve, in spite of the fact that you sacrifice, in spite of the fact that you are steadfast, in spite of the fact that you are separated, in spite of all of those good things, I have this against you. Oh, I see all this good stuff. I see all of these things that you were taught and that you learned that you should do and should not do. I see you adhering to all of that, but this one thing I have against you, you have left or you have abandoned your first love. See, here's the thing we have to realize. I, I said this the other day. I had a conversation with someone. It was an intense Back and forth on Facebook. I really don't engage in those very often now. But I just couldn't take it. My friend continued to convey just, I'm going to just say it, stupidity. And I'm a firm believer, right? Like you, you shouldn't just want to make a point. You should want to make a difference. That's, that's, I, I try to live by those words. 
You, sh- you shouldn't just want to jab at somebody. You, especially as a if you're not a Christian, I ain't even dealing with you. If you're, if you're not a Christian, I'm not dealing with you on any of that. What I mean is I'm not dealing with you in the sense that I don't expect you to care to, you know, to edify someone. But if you are a Christian, oh, you should not be communicating stuff that is just stupidity over and over again just to jab at somebody. And so I engaged in a conversation and I said, you know, I heard a politician say this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote a politician, y'all. And I want you to know that I do not believe this to be true in every situation because I believe what this politician said. Two things can be true at one time. You hear me? You know what the problem with our world is? Our world and church don't fall into this garbage. Our world wants to be one-dimensional in whatever it communicates. So what ends up happening is we end up hearing things like all are this or all are this. We can't say they messed up. So did they. Two things can be true at one time. Two things can be true at one time and not be contradictory. Hello. You know this new word that they throw out there? You know, it's nuance. Everything has nuance. That's the new word. I think people like looked up the word nuance and they're like, oh, this is this is like a, I don't even, I want to use the word psychedelic right now. That's probably not the right term. But it's like, it's like this new, it's like, it's this catchphrase. You know, every we have to have nuance. But you know where they only want to have nuance? They want to have nuance when it comes to religious convictions. They want to have nuance when it comes to standing for, again, the first good stuff this church had. Jesus didn't rebuke them. Jesus didn't say, hey, embrace the Nicolaitans. No, embrace their, he didn't say that to them. He didn't say, hey, stop working hard. Hey, stop serving. Hey, stop persevering. Hey, stop standing for truth. Hey, stop testing apostles. He didn't say that. He did it because all of those things needed to happen. But there was another truth that was at work in the background and said, you know what, all of that stuff, you can do all of that and still not love me the way you should. On the outside, you can look good. On the outside, you can seem okay. But on the inside, there's something going on. There's something that is missing. The church of Ephesus was doing all the right things, but they weren't doing it for the right reasons. You see, church, we have to realize this. What we do is just as important as why we do it. The condition of the heart. It's not enough just to do the right things. It's not enough just to do what you're supposed to do because the Bible says so. God wants our hearts. The church of Ephesus had left their first love. The problem with us is that we are so easily focused upon the external that we often ignore the internal. This is in religious context as well as physical context. This is true in marriage. This is true in parenting. This is true at work. Listen, you name it, this is true. We look at the external. Are you hitting the numbers? Who cares about your mental health? That's why this is such a big thing now, right? Like caring about people. Like caring about where people are at. Like caring about what's going on in people's lives. Helping people deal with what's going on internally. We don't care about that. 
We just care that you align. We just care that you are doing what's supposed to be done. And the fact of the matter is, there are some places, yeah, that we need to make sure we just align, we fall in line. Oh, yes, I get all that. But the fact is, when we're talking about being Christians, it's not just about the externals. It's about the internal. They had abandoned their first love. Thank God that he doesn't ignore the internal. He cares about what's going on inside. And you know what I notice about God? This is something that I've noticed about him for the last 20-something years as I've served him. He seems to always pinpoint that one thing. Is it not true? Like you, like, like you deal with every other thing. Like, it's all, like everything else is okay, but it's almost like he's there saying, hey, I see that one thing. I see, I see that little, you know, it's like you have a white shirt on, right? And there's this little dot that just there. Nobody, re- you try to hide it. Nobody really sees it. You know, you know the bright way to bend and hide. And God is like, uh-uh, I see it. I got it. But you know why he does that? Because he loves you. Because that one little thing can destroy your whole life. And in this particular case, the one little thing was that they had left their first love. So what does it mean to leave your first love? What is the first love? What, what, when you talk about the first love, it is the devotion to Christ that is often characterized by new believers. That's what it is. First love is that, that first love, that, 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 that fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed love. That was there one time and then disappeared. There was a time that you couldn't shut up about Jesus. And now, try to get you to talk about Jesus. You don't know where he fits. Before, it didn't matter. He was going to fit wherever you were. It was this first love, this passion that you woke up with. I love this. You got to turn here with me because I want you to see this picture. Look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go to chapter 2, chapter 2. I want you to see how God conveys to the children of Israel his feelings about them. And look at what, the, look at what this word says here. Jeremiah, chapter 2, he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. Listen to this. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness. You you see the picture that he draws for the children of Israel. His issue primarily when he when he when when they went into judgment, it was because they stopped pursuing him. Their love for him was not what it once was. And Jesus tells the church of Ephesus, I have this thing against you. You have abandoned your first love. You have left your first love. See, your first love, it is the honeymoon love of the husband and wife. 
Those of you who are married, you remember that. And while it is true that mature married love deepens and grows richer, it is also true that it should never lose the excitement and wonder of those honeymoon days. Listen to me now. This is the twofer. This is about Jesus, and this is also about your marriage. If you're married, this applies to you too. If you're not married, this, you can apply this with your relationship with the Lord. When a husband and wife begin to take each other for granted and life becomes routine, then the marriage is in danger. i never forget the words of one of the guys that was at my bachelor party. It wasn't some crazy bachelor party. I was a Christian by then. Hallelujah. <laughs> It was crazy. It started crazy because these guys, like, arrested me. They got me arrested. They had some guy that was a police officer who arrested me, and then they took me somewhere. So they, they, that was messed up. But anyway, hmm. they were going around. They were giving me advice as a young man, and one of the guys that was there, he said, man, just keep the fire burning. And I, I'll never forget those words, and I always try to remember those words, keep the fire burning. And I think those words apply here to what Jesus is communicating to the church. The fire is not burning like it was. Oh, you're going through the motions, but where is the fire? Where is the passion? Where is the, 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 the zeal for my presence that once was? Where is that? So what does he say? How do we address this? This is the application. Uh, Minister John, he's big on application, so here it is, so pay attention. Because this is the application to the text. The application to the text is this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. I heard somebody say, remember today. Didn't they say something about remembering during our time of worship? I think they did. Remember, therefore, Minister Hector, I believe, was saying it. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Three things, remember, repent, return. Remember, repent, return. The first thing is you got to remember. You, how, well, well, listen, if you don't have a memory of a day that you were in love with Jesus, then I call you to repentance on that. Because if you can't look back to a moment in your life where Jesus was everything, I have to ask you, are you really born again? I have to ask you, do you really have a relationship with God? Because you don't have to measure your life based upon me. But everybody that I know, when they look back at their life, they typically, when you're talking about first love, they remember a time when Jesus was everything. They remember a time that it didn't matter what it cost. It didn't matter. Before they talked to anyone, they talked to Jesus. Before they did anything, they had to spend time with Jesus. If that meant they had to wake up an hour, two hours early in order to get in with God, that is what they did. Throughout their day, they were thinking, does this please the Lord? Does this honor God? When something happened that they knew was dishonoring to him, it grieved them down deep in their soul. See, when you have that memory, what, what John is calling you to, what Jesus is saying, remember from where you've fallen. Remember from where you've fallen. We should feel the weight of that. And he says, and repent, do the first works. So obviously they're already doing works. So he's not talking about just doing works. Do the first works. Go back to that place where it wasn't so heavy to do the work that God called you to do. You know why it's so difficult to do stuff? 
It's because we've left our first love. Listen, think about it. All y'all folks up in here married. Come on now. You remember? It didn't matter. My wife and I, we could have a conversation. I'll tell you about it. We could sit down in the front of my grandmother's house, because that's where my, my mom's house. We could sit in the front of that place, get, it, get home from church, and we would sit in her car in the front of the house, and we could talk until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and she could get up and go to work the next day at whatever time. Now, I know she was younger, hallelujah. <laughs> but I can assure you today, today, she starts to fizzle at 10 o'clock, hallelujah. There ain't, no, there ain't no conversation happening past 11 o'clock in the day. We're, we're, we're not sitting there gazing into each other. Now, listen, we, we, we want to keep the fire burning, but here's the point. The point is there was a time that it didn't matter. It didn't matter what it cost because that love was burning so brightly in your soul. It's the same thing with our walk with Jesus. Return. Return. Come back to doing those things. Because he doesn't want to remove the lampstand. You know what that means? I am going to destroy your church. Wait a second. I thought Jesus loved you. Oh, he does. But he will remove that church if that church is in the way of his representation. The third thing. I'd ask you to repeat after me as this. Say, God only rebukes those he loves and rewards those who are listening. He only rebukes those he loves and he rewards those who are listening. Last verse, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to notice the singular he and the plural churches. So what he says is he, and that can be he or she. He or she who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What he says is this, is that we individually have to be convicted. We have to be, we have to be moved by the rebuke. We have to be moved by his offer of mercy because he calls us to repentance because he loves us. He calls us to repentance because he cares for us. He goes on to say what? To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so if you don't repent, if you continue in your lovelessness, if you continue in this place where you're just going through the motions, man, destruction is coming. Judgment is coming. But in his mercy, what does he say? He who overcomes, or she who overcomes. He who overcomes, I will give to eat of this tree. Ephesus was in danger of losing its light because it lost its first love. We as the church are supposed to shine brightly for our God and our Savior. However, If the love of God is not shining brightly, what do we say every single week? We are committed to loving God. It is a reminder that everything we do and everything we are starts in one place, loving God. 
It starts in that place of loving him. But what does Jesus do? Jesus points to the fact that this is an unhealthy church, a church that looked healthy, yet it was unhealthy. Jesus offers them a reward for overcoming their sin, to eat of the tree of life. It is important to realize, and we have to understand this, we don't overcome by our own will. We don't overcome because we have a moral fortitude. We don't even overcome because of our genuine repentance. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome because of the work of our Savior. We overcome because of our faith in him. And when we respond to him and we acknowledge, God, I have fallen. I have left my first love. When we communicate those words from our hearts and we say, God, I want to turn, God offers us the grace in order to turn. That's what he does. And I'll say this, as we respond to him, returning, what does that mean? It means returning to our first love, coming back to a gospel-centered life, a Christ-honoring life, a God-pleasing life. That's what creates a healthy church. When we are committed to loving God, and I'll say this, a church is only, now listen to this, a church is only as healthy as its members are willing to follow its leadership as its leadership seeks to hear, obey, and imitate Jesus. Let me say it again. A church is only as healthy as its members are willing to follow its leadership as its leadership seeks to hear, obey, and imitate Jesus. Listen, if we as leaders are not seeking to hear, obey, and imitate Jesus, we're going to be in a healthy church forever, no matter what you do. But what I can tell you is this, is that as a guy who leads people in this church, who leads the leaders in this church, I can assure you, imperfect as we are, we are seeking to hear, we are seeking to obey, and we are seeking to imitate Jesus. And so the question is, are you as the body following in steps saying, Lord, we want to follow you? We want to follow you to be the church you want us to be. So here's my closing question for you. Have you abandoned your first love? And the second question is, are you ready to return? I don't want to leave you in the weight of I've, I've left, I've fallen from my first love. Listen, I stand with you in this place, and I have been rebuked, and I have been broken, and I have been wrestling and saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Because as your son, I realize that I have abandoned my first love, that I have, that I, that I, I'm talking about me, not you, that I have neglected that first love because what? Because I get so busy serving and persevering and defending the faith and preparing sermons and I'm not just talking about today in this sermon, I'm talking about, man, I'm always fighting the ease of falling into that place. And so I, I confess, man, God, I want to come back to that first love always. I strive to come back to that place. So I ask you to bow your heads with me if you would. You know your heart before the Lord. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you agree with this prayer, then you can pray it as well. But I hope that you will humble your heart before the Lord. I hope that you will... Make it a point because one thing that I know for me personally, if I don't make it a point to get up early, I'm never going to stoke the flames of my first love with the Lord. And so that's the thing that has to be the first thing on my list of my day 
And so maybe that's what you have to do is you have to say, you know what, I am going to make sure I'm going to repent before the Lord right now. I'm going to confess to the Lord right now. And then tomorrow, I'm going to get up. I'm going to seek his face. And I'm going to make it a point that I'm going to do this Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And listen, but start tomorrow. One day at a time. Father, we humble our hearts before you in this place. And Lord, as, as I communicated in, in the beginning, Lord God, sound doctrine should lead to a great passion for you and also compassion for others. And so, Lord, look at our hearts. Jesus, you are walking amongst us right now. You move among us, this lampstand. And Lord, if there needs to be repentance, let it be true in us. Help us to fight for our first love. Help us to remember from where we've fallen. Help us to do the first works that pleased you and honored you and help us to return, Lord God, and not stand stagnant. Thank you for loving us enough, Lord God, to communicate with us. May we respond in faith to you, God. We thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. We are going to partake of communion, which is a glorious and beautiful reminder.